Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We will be talking all about what human beings were probably supposed to be eating, as well as how you can go out, be your own detective, and sort through some of the nutritional BS that is out there when it comes to, I should just say the BS, when it comes to nutritional research. <laughs> Let's get started. The person that I think probably had the most legitimate impact in the world of nutritional research was Dr. Weston A. Price. Now, Weston A. Price was born in the late 1800s, it was 1870, and he was someone who got into dentistry, and then he had some questions and a theory. His questions were, why were modern cultures having so many issues with cavities, uh, disformed jaws, like jaws not growing in properly, um, even the issues that we have with wisdom teeth, right? Like you have to think about how silly that stuff is. And some of the stuff becomes so common that we don't recognize it as not being normal. It's something you probably hear us say all the time on this show. How ridiculous is it that virtually, I mean, everyone gets surgery to some degree for their wisdom teeth in these Western cultures? Now, outside of the fact that we know some of those are done preventatively, quote-unquote, or they're completely needless, there are certain people who really are in excruciating pain and would actually need a surgery for this. Do you think people were actually living like that? Probably not. I'm going to take a wild guess that we're doing something wrong that is preventing the wisdom teeth from growing in properly, and then we just decide, hey, well, you know what? No problem. We'll take those out. That is what... Uh, the conventional system really loves to do and hey i always talk bad about both sides here and you know because there's a plenty of stuff that the functional side does not do well but conventional medicine seriously if it doesn't work they give you a pill and then if that doesn't work they just take it out of your body because that's really a great solution right <laughs> oh my goodness i digress weston a price was interested in finding out why people had these messed up jaws and his original theory was that it was because human beings must supposed to be uh, were supposed to be eating a vegan diet. This was a really interesting time. It was a time that when you had a theory and you were wrong, you said that you were wrong. And you didn't just try to pick information that made you seem right. It was a really, really different time. <laughs> so Weston A. Price went out and he started studying a bunch of various indigenous cultures from all over the world. People that were not really associated with modern uh, the modern world at all. I mean, certainly they weren't going to the dentist. They're not going to hospitals. These are true indigenous people. And not only did he not find any vegan cultures, he found pretty much as opposite from that as you could be. He found that almost all of the people that he studied were eating raw animal products. Now, what does that mean? That means raw intestine, raw liver, raw brain, raw heart, raw kidney. So not even cooking these things up, but they're eating a ton of organ meats and they're eating them raw. And many of the tribes, if they had dogs or something, they would feed the muscle meats to those dogs because that's how they viewed that food. How crazy is that? Now, the thing is, 
that automatically does not or doesn't automatically prove that that has any validity to it. The question then becomes, well, how are these cultures doing? Turns out their jaw structures were significantly better than those of modern humans. He was seeing no cavities in the kids. And there's actually pictures of this. Obviously, they're very old photos. But if you just search Weston A. Price um, kid photos on Google Images, you'll be able to see the photos that he got of their jaws. And what's interesting is in a few of them, you'll see pretty decent spacing among the teeth, but they're still very straight. It's clear that the teeth are very white and in good health. So I thought that was interesting that sometimes you'd have these teeth that were quite spaced out and it looks like it shouldn't be happening and perhaps it shouldn't be, but the other stuff was accounted for. Now, generally speaking, these tribes also had extremely good health. The one thing that functional medicine never considers that I think is relevant here is infant mortality. Now, what am I getting at with this? Well, we have a culture now, and a society, I should say, that allows for, I don't want to be so morbid, but I'm just calling it what it is. We allow for people to live that would not have made it in nature. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Obviously, we should. But my point is, as early as um, the 1800s, I think in the beginning of that yeah, in the beginning of the 19th century, if I'm not mistaken, the infant mortality rate was almost like one in two. That's not good. And so I think what needs to be considered when we're making the argument that there is a chronic disease epidemic, which I do agree with and I do think we can back up, we still need to acknowledge that 50% of babies were not healthy enough to survive the wild. And my point in saying that is, if they weren't healthy enough to do that and didn't have that kind of robust nature, maybe those are people that obviously would be subject to chronic disease or other things if they weren't designed to make it in the beginning. I'm saying that because the people that were in these tribes, since they were in good health, we have to remember that they were probably losing at least one in two of their babies and only the strongest were surviving. So something to consider just to be objective here, as objective as possible at least. Now, Weston A. Price found that there was a lot of uh, diversity in the culture's diets. So yes, they ate raw animal products, but they didn't all eat the same raw animal products. Some of them had other grains in the diet. Some of them had um, you know, certain fruits and vegetables. Some of them did not really eat many fruits and vegetables at all. And namely what I'm going to is the Inuits in uh, Nunavut, Canada. They were eating about, I think it was almost 80 or 90% of their calories at some points during the year from whale blubber, seal, just really a few things. And then they would get certain sea vegetables during the warmer seasons, but that was for a very short period of time. And then the Inuits were right back to the craziness of winter. <laughs> there was one tribe that was an exception to this. I think it was at least one, but might've only been one. And these were people that lived in more equatorial regions. I think they were in South America. Now they ate no animal products that were technically meats. But they did eat raw dairy, so they still ate animal products. I thought that was kind of cool. What was even more interesting, and this is for another episode, but because Weston A. Price didn't realize this yet because there was no studies on this, so he really would have had to have been thinking outside the box. And even if he thought like this, it would have been very hard to prove. What he found was that, generally speaking, people that were closer to the equator, the tribes that were closer to the equator, were eating less animal products and more 
maybe vegetables or carbohydrates. And the farther away you got from the equator, the more animal products they ate. Now, the reason I say it's for another episode and maybe that he missed something is because now in the world of functional medicine, we're putting way more emphasis on sunlight and seasonality and what that means. And I will just say there is really good reason to believe based on what we know about sunlight now and especially UV light that someone who is getting exposed to high amounts of UV light would do just fine on a decently carbohydrate-rich diet, whereas someone who is very far north or south, such as uh, the Inuits in Nunavut, Canada, they are going to need more animal products and possibly even going to be in a state of ketosis for much of the year. Just something to consider on a side note. Now, is this really what human beings were supposed to be eating? That's kind of tough to say. There are many factors that go into this, such as where are you from? right? Where do you currently live geographically? And I think that's one of the issues with the United States of America. And I reference that because although we have global listeners currently, um, that's still at least I think 90% of our listeners are from the USA. And you know, another good chunk is from Canada. So the point in saying this is these two countries are melting pots. America is the number one melting pot in the world. And because of this, we have people that we're not really supposed to live in the certain regions that they do live in. And then they're eating in ways that that region doesn't even account for. So there's kind of a double whammy. An example of this would be myself. I mean, my ancestry is from Northern Europe. And then if I go hang out in Florida, I don't live there right now, but I have spent you know months there in Airbnbs and stuff. If I'm eating that Florida diet or not eating the Florida diet at all, but also living in Florida, now I'm kind of going away from what my body was prepared to do. Um, similarly, I think the probably most extreme example of this is if you get someone that would have been very dark in their complexion that was from an equatorial region, and then they go live up in Washington or Canada, I think those people are at a significant disadvantage for multiple reasons, um, not even just dietary ones, but the fact that these people were made to be getting beaten on by the sun, and they really can't even get good amounts of UV light in some of those northern provinces for most of the year, let alone are they actually going outside and doing it properly during the times of the year that they can do it. I I think it's just a mess, right? Now, does that mean (laughs) I'm supposed to go back to Europe and live there or that people that are from more equatorial regions are supposed to go back and live there? I'm not necessarily suggesting that. I'm just saying it's something that we should be conscious of. And certainly, we should be conscious of it if we are very sick. I have heard a lot of top people in the functional space say that if they were really chronically ill and lived in a northern region, they would move south. And knowing what I know now and having the experiences that I've had, I cannot say I disagree with that. Of course, not everyone has that option to just get up and go. But if you do, I don't think it's a bad idea, at least until you're healed up. And then maybe you could kind of go back and forth. But side point, right? In terms of what we're supposed to be eating today, I think probably one of the best things we could do is incorporate those organ meats to the best of our ability. And some people are not going to be able to handle that. (laughs) They're going to say, that's crazy. There's no way I'm eating organ meats. That is just not something I'm willing to do. So the good news is you can actually supplement with this. I don't know that that's a good replacement for the actual organ meats itself, uh, but it's probably better than nothing. Almost certainly it's better than nothing. And it's definitely not that bad. And what you can do is basically just get these desiccated organs from, um, 
And, you know, they're in capsules, and there's quite a few brands out there. I got a shout-out, not sponsored or anything, Paleo Valley, because Paleo Valley is actually created by an FDN, and that's a very popular brand for the organ meat. So I always thought it was so cool that Autumn Smith and her husband did that. They also have a restaurant in Boulder, Colorado called Wild Pastures, which is also a whole separate company that does meal delivery stuff. I mean, they're really killing it over there and doing some great things. Shout out to them. No sponsors there. <laughs> Although we did have Autumn Smith on... Ah, shoot. I have no idea what episode that was. Go back to like 50 or 60 or something. I believe she's in there. And it will say it's uh, she's the founder of Paleo Valley and stuff. Another good brand is Ancestral Supplements. And um, they have some really interesting ones. They have one that's kind of funny. It's called Mofo. And it's male optimization for organs or from organs. That one is interesting. There is bull testicle in there. There's some kidney, heart, liver. And if you can't comprehend the idea of eating any of those things, well, at least you can take it as a supplement. The Native Americans, now I'm really getting off on a side point, but I'm sure you guys enjoy this. The Native Americans and Native people in general sometimes believed that eating the organ of an animal would actually help heal the diseased organ um, in a human. And is that a perfect science no, it is not, but it is rather interesting how the nutrients that come from certain organs actually correlate perfectly with the nutritional needs of specific organs in the human body. So there is sometimes, um, there's a little something to ancient wisdom oftentimes. And not to mention, they did figure out at least one thing, and that's that the organ meats are by far the most nutritional parts of any animal. The muscle meats are great for macronutrient ratios, I suppose, but they're actually not anywhere near as nutritious as liver or heart or kidney. Those things are significantly more nutritious. So I always find it interesting how they didn't have any studies. They can't, you know, check this stuff out really and figure out what's going on. And yet they somehow knew that that was what they were supposed to be eating. Isn't it kind of funny that human beings don't have that intuition anymore? Do you need to give a bird a calorie counter or, you know, some type of nutrition facts label do you give it to a deer? Do you give it to a bear? Any of those animals get that kind of stuff? No. And yet, human beings, we have all that stuff, and we still can't figure out what to eat, <laughs> right? We go back and forth and debate um, endlessly about this stuff. I think the one real takeaway from the Weston A. Price thing is that we probably were made to be eating some amount of animal products no matter where we live. And if you are someone who really can't give up the vegan thing, then perhaps what you want to do is go live an equatorial lifestyle or at the very least live in the south where you can get some sun all the time and make sure you're actually getting out into it. Some people don't understand. If you just live in Florida, that doesn't do it. You could still live in a house, guys. Um, and I say this jokingly, of course, because... It's kind of hilarious to me how many people say they moved south and they feel better or whatever. I'm like, you're never outside. How do you feel better just because it's a little hotter when you're driving your car or something? I, I don't get that. If I'm in Florida, I get tanned very quickly because I am out there getting the most out of it at all times. <laughs> now, the study thing, I wanted to teach you guys how to become detectives yourself and really be able to look at some studies. Now, this is not a course, of course, <laughs> not a course, of course, in true analysis of studies you'd have to put in a lot more time for that but here's where we can start with some good questions and I'm going to pull this out of a book that I have right next to me and this is called Sacred Cow it's by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf and what there was in here 
was a really good um, list of questions that you can ask when looking at a study, okay? So we're going to go right through these together. Again, this is from the book Sacred Cow. This is not our list. Number one is what type of study was it? Was it observational or experimental? And we'll already pause there just to explain the difference. Observational, and I'll define these with examples because I think that's all we need for today for simplicity's sake. Observational would be taking a population over a long period of time and correlating what they're eating with certain things. So in a way, you could actually say that Weston A. Price's studies was a form of observational study because he is doing what? He's observing certain dietary tendencies and correlating that with good jaw function. And you say, well, it's obviously that, right? They're eating a different thing. Well, that's where you got to be a critical thinker in science. Just because something correlates does not automatically mean that it's true. And what's hilarious here, um, not the one part's not hilarious, but they have a, they just show you an example of how crappy correlations can be. And one of the ones here is Nicolas Cage movies, like how many he released in a given year, and um, the amount of people that drowned by falling into a pool, and it correlates almost perfectly. So it just shows you that you can really lie with statistics, uh, which is a book actually, and you can kind of mess things up when you start running into the world of correlation, so you got to be careful. Because again, Weston A. Price knew really as far as it seems from his uh, publishings, knew nothing about the benefits of sunlight or how living in a real environment for a human could actually benefit the jaw health or overall health of the people he was studying. So that's observational. And we got to be really careful with that. And this is the problem because almost all nutritional research is going to be based off observational studies. And you say, why? Well, because what would be the other one that we could do? And that's experimental. So that's their second point here experimental would mean that we actually have the ability to run a true experiment. Um, that's not the literal definition, but that's how you can remember it. And to do an experiment, you need a control group. You need a group that's doing the same thing as the other one minus a couple of things or maybe only changing one thing ideally. And, and let's just say you have I'm being extreme, but to make a point, let's say there's four foods that these uh, people can eat. They have to eat um, the same one for breakfast, the same one for lunch, same one for dinner, and they're allowed to have the same one as a snack. So that's your first group. Then you have the second group, and what you're able to do with them is you have um, the same breakfast, same lunch, same dinner as the first group, except the snack's different. And then what you would do is study these people over time and be able to see, oh, okay, well, this one uh, group here had a 50% increase in heart attacks. Now, of course, that does not account for their other factors because there's a lot more that goes into health and diet. But at the very least, you'd be one step closer. Now, again, the problem is good luck trying to find a solid experimental study on nutrition. It's pretty hard to get people to do this. We're usually relying on their own reporting. I mean, you're not going to be able to really lock people down and control their diet long enough, at least, to uh, study these things long term. So what we're going to be seeing probably in the future, and I know that there's already some stuff out there now, is you're going to be seeing more groups of, um, how should I say it, dietary labels. Those types of groups, they're going to be studied. Okay, these people ate paleo. For most of their life. That's what happened to them. These people ate vegan for most of their life. That's what happened to them. So that's the first thing we want to ask is what type of study was it? Was it observational? Was it experimental? Another question is, were there any conflicts of interest? 
who paid for the study? Did a company with a vested interest in the results fund it? Or, for example, were the researchers vegan or vegetarian in a study that's promoting, uh, promoting veganism or vegetarianism? <laughs> That'd be kind of important to know. What foods were tested? How was the information about the foods eaten collected? How many participants? Who were the participants? Humans? Animals? Are the results of the study significant to overall mortality? Were they just looking at one specific compound in a food? If the study reports an increase in disease risk, what is the overall significance of this risk? So there's quite a few things that you could be asking. And just to show you how um, tainted the mainstream science is, I'm going to give you an example here. There was a documentary called What the Health. Now, What the Health was something that got a lot of people on the vegan train. I saw so many people on my social media sharing this stuff. Uh, many people that were honestly quite intelligent. And it's unfortunate because they're thinking, wow, this is a big documentary. I think it was on Netflix at the time. It looks really legitimate. And we automatically have this bias and this assumption that it must be true to have gotten to that point. The studies in science were so bad in what the health that the owner of vegan.com, you could still look this up, go to vegan.com, go into their search bar and type in what the health. They came out and said, while we do support veganism, obviously, they're the owners of vegan.com, we do not want to be associated with such junk science that was in this documentary. Wow. How bad does the science in a documentary need to be if people that are on your side, at least in terms of your conclusion, are going to come out and argue against you? So one, huge props to the owner of vegan.com for doing something like that. I think that's amazing. I think we need more of that in the world. We have, um, I won't get into any specific examples, but you guys all can think of a million of these probably. Think about the worlds of uh, politics, right? People so often end up defending whatever candidate that they voted for, even if they did something they disagreed with because they're the same political party. That's not how we should be doing things. If we see something that is wrong, even if we agree with their overall conclusion, we got to change that. So huge props to vegan.com. But the point does remain, a lot of these popular documentaries and even certain major books that are out have junk science in it. And then they're promoting the wrong thing and people think, wow, this sounds really good because most people will never go and actually look at the studies, unfortunately. So in terms of what human beings were probably supposed to be eating, I do believe for sure, and I know generally speaking, uh, FDN Thrive, I can kind of speak for all of us here, were absolutely on the boat of animal products were probably a natural part of almost any human being's diet. I think there is a lot of truth that the farther you go south, assuming you are using the benefits of the sunlight that you're getting, uh, farther south to the point of the equator, to be clear. Yeah, okay. I, I think it makes sense to eat a little less animal products, and I think you can get away with eating some more carbohydrates. And by the way, just to, I don't want to like leave you on a complete cliffhanger, just to give a small example of what I'm referencing there. We know that exposure to UV light actually increases insulin sensitivity, aka when you're exposed to hot sun, well, I shouldn't say hot, that's misleading. Strong sun is a better word. You are becoming more primed to eat carbohydrates. Hmm, I wonder why that would happen. It's almost like an abundance of carbohydrates and plant life grows where there's strong sun and so if you're a human being eating that, you might do better. Now, imagine if you're a human being and living in those environments, but you're in an air-conditioned office most of the day. 
and then you go out and eat the smoothie or all the other things and you think, wow, I'm eating locally, I'm eating seasonally. But there's more to it than that. You are a part of nature. There are many, many factors that go into how you process food and what a good diet might be. So we can give the general guidelines of, yeah, maybe animal products are probably solid, um, especially the raw organ meats type of thing. But there's a lot more to the diet than that. We need to be considering our unique situation. Where are we actually from? Are we actually getting outside? What did our ancestors eat? What's available to me locally and seasonally right now? How can that all mix together with all this other stuff? And then I hope that you felt like those tools and questions can actually give you a little power when you're looking over a study. And I encourage you to start doing that. And I'm not saying be a YouTube educator. I know some people are really against that. I think you can find some good stuff on YouTube for sure. But no, I don't think that's how we should be getting our main education unless the person's citing the stuff that's on their YouTube. So what you can do, though, is just start there by going to YouTube and looking up how to read a study. It's not as hard as you think. This isn't something that you need a medical degree for by any means. You could learn how to read a study in a matter of a couple days and do it pretty intelligently. The hardest part about the studies are going to be understanding the technical terms that are being used in it, not really how to read it per se. With that said, I want to wrap up there. I hope that you guys liked this episode. I always like feedback from you all if you enjoy the shorter episodes. And how you can leave some feedback is by going to Podbean, and that's a podcast platform. And then you search for the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive, and you can leave us a comment there. By the way, I really have dropped the ball on this one. I did not understand that Spotify had its own unique rating system. And so many of you have been amazing and rating us on Apple Podcasts. If you happen to be one of our Spotify listeners, then we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review because we need to accumulate a certain amount before they will actually post uh, the ratings publicly. So we love you guys very much. Thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you guys again soon. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button.